0: hello and welcome back to at least is not rocket science we're back here in the dungeon this is episode 2 uh, my name is Nathaniel and I'll be your host accompanied by my co-host uh, JJ
1: I am co-host and
0: accompanied by our other co-host Kyle <laughs> and on today's agenda we're gonna be we're gonna be doing a recap first and then we're gonna be diving into a little bit about heart one of the umbrella projects here at OSU under AIWA,
1: And if you remember, last week we actually spoke about all of the AIWA projects, and we're actually going to try to get uh, every team lead in to talk about them themselves so you can hear a bit a bit, a bit more about the, the first-hand close experience. But uh, yeah, if you want to learn more about HART, uh, you can listen to that prior episode and some of the other AIWA capstone teams, but today we're going to be very specific. So what are we doing today, Nathaniel?
0: We got a special guest today.
1: A special guest, very you say. special
0: guest. Uh, I'll actually turn it over to them and let them introduce themselves.
2: Oh well, well, thank you. My name is Luke. I am the team lead of Heart, and I was told to yell, so I'm <laughs> I'm yelling.
1: That was JJ that told him to yell, by the way. So if if anyone's ear drums burst, you can yell at me. So to get started, thank you for coming in here for us. I know this is kind of last minute. Uh, we've been. Getting things set up for the podcast in general, but we definitely wanted to have you on as one of the first few So thank you for coming.
2: Oh, I appreciate that man. Yeah, it's it's cool to be here. You got a cool setup
1: Yes, we our own personal <laughs> setup that we definitely own wink wink
2: That does not look like
0: a dungeon <laughs>
1: That does not Yeah, does not look like a cave where we uh, where we do of our misdeeds so uh, Today uh, we're planning on asking you some questions about uh, where you're from. Oh god Sorry, I keep hitting the microphone with my hand. I'm very expressive. Uh, We're going to talk about where you came from, like where you grew up, um, kind of what got you into your current major, what brought you to OSU, and kind of what you're hoping to do with it and what you are doing with it here.
2: Cool. Um, So I actually came from a desert in Southern California, uh, Victorville, California. It's uh, close to LA, about an hour and a half northeast. It's really dry. I decided to come to Oregon because it's not dry and <laughs> yeah, it's been really good uh, I love it love it here I don't I don't see myself moving but it's really where opportunities take you you know uh, from this point out it's really where I can pick up a job or an, an experience uh, I got into mechanical after I'm a mechanical engineering major but that was after I studied geology for a bit actually really I was a rock guy
1: rock guy and then now you're a rocket guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> Wow, so so, what age did you move from California to here?
2: Uh, right after high school, I was seventeen. Got into got into college, seventeen years old. A uh, couple months later, turned eighteen.
1: Did you <laughs> did you did you plan to come to OSU for geology, or was that yeah. something that was okay? So you you didn't think mechanical until you got here to Oregon I State. I did think
2: mechanical, but the issue was people kept on asking me about car engines, and I didn't know anything about cars. So I thought <laughs> mechanical engineering was all about engines.
1: Rather than like automotive engineer.
2: Well, I yeah, I just didn't have a scope of what was out there, but you know, I mean, here we are talking about rockets, and that's in in the umbrella of mech- mechanical engineering. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's really cool. You know, all the opportunities you can do. It's not just cars.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I also came from a kind of similar to background with the. I came from like a biology. What I was going to be majoring yeah. in, still space because I wanted to do like space stuff. But interesting geology. I took a few geology classes, and it was a lot of memorization, which. That was killer.
2: I don't like memorization. Actually, <laughs> I, don't. I, I like the geophysics of it all. There were there were processes that happen in the planet. It's not just geology about Earth. It's geology about planet science in general, right? Oh. So you get a lot of like tectonic activity. You get a lot of the movement inside of the planet. You know the, the magma movements, the convection cells, the volcanology. Volcanology. Yep, it's just really cool. Like physically.
0: Interesting. So how far did you get into geology before I you switched? <laughs>
2: got pretty far. I, I went to a field, intro to field geology. So I actually went out for like a week straight at a, at a campsite where you go out for like 12 hours a day, map an area, which essentially means you go to a rock that's still in the ground. You can't go to one that's just floating up because someone might have dropped it out of their backpack. But you have to go to a rocky unit that's still attached to the planet mark that as a note, go to another location, mark that as a note. And in the end, you have all these notes about these various locations, and then you can draw out what you think happened 20 million years ago.
1: That's pretty cool. What? Yeah. yeah ge- geology is something where it's it's amazing to look into stuff that's, like, that old. I mean, like, the Earth is, like, the oldest thing that, that's on Earth. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, it makes sense that uh, there's a lot of interest in it. So from from geology, you went to mechanical, and it did, I don't I don't recall. Did you describe that process, or just because you thought it was a lot of automotive stuff? What got you to to convert finally?
2: Um, I I left geology because the lifestyle of a professional geologist is not what I was looking for in terms of work lifestyle. Is
1: there a lot of travel with that? It is. Oh okay.
2: Uh, you don't have much choice on where you live too, because you go where either the oil is or you go where the gold is. And <laughs> I'm an envi- You know, I like the environment. I'm not going to go into the Oh, I'm not. I just I'm not gonna. Yeah, I don't know. I just had a more. Uh, Some so I didn't want to do it. So I I went to mechanical engineering because I in high school, I actually really enjoyed calculus and physics. Senior year of high school, I took those and I fell in love. Left my baseball lifestyle behind. Got a job. Um, and focused on school a lot of the time. And I I realized that you know applying physics and calculus is what engineering is. That's a cool
1: story about. Uh, I mean. It's it's everyone has their own ways of getting into it too, and it appears yours has taken you uh, across the country to decide that, which is really cool. And also, like at Oregon State, like we have so many diverse people here, and coming from all these different backgrounds, it's really interesting. Like Kyle, we talked about a little bit last week, but he's lived all over, like Texas, Hawaii, Oregon, everywhere, and Where's so your
2: favorite place.
3: Uh, I think it's a tie between Texas and Hawaii. You
1: mean Oregon, right?
3: I like the Oregon weather up until a point like one day I'll wake up and be like yeah it just rained enough (laughs) but uh, uh, yeah and I liked uh, Texas because it had a
1: coast barbecue
2: barbecue
3: yeah yeah. it, it, <laughs> it was all food
2: we have a coast we have a really cool coast cold, you coast, you, cold coast you mean <laughs> well, that's a yeah, beach you. that's a, <laughs> there's a difference between a coast and a beach right we, we can, have a shoreline we don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely swim in the ocean
1: you can okay. swim in the ocean but do you want to you swim are. in the ocean come on now.
0: coming born and raised yeah newport oregon, <laughs> oregon right there yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went body surfing in the winter crazy,
1: Different breed you are. crazy. <laughs> yeah so we we discussed a little bit about how you got into mechanical engineering from geology still that's a crazy jump that's cool though and so are you a minor in aerospace as well yeah okay i kind of knew that because we're all in the same capstone class but i wanted to confirm so what so the aerospace aspect you kind of mentioned earlier that you know geology you talked about it's not just earth it's like planetary geology and planetary systems and all this different cool stuff that happens um so the aerospace aspect was it kind of like uh, does that ingrain from your geology days, or did that kind of come with like your, your uh, advisor being like, hey, you can do this for a few extra credits?
2: Geology and rockets came from the same source passion of space in general. You look out to the universe and you see planets ev- everywhere. You don't see them, but they are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, each star has its own system, or probably, right? You can assume.
1: The Fermi equation. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, the Fermi equation. What's that? Uh, I think, I don't remember, maybe it's not the right name for it, but there's an equation where it's like, I won't go too deep because I go on a tangent, go. but it's like galaxies. It's like you multiply like how many galaxies are probably out there, and then you multiply how many stars are in those galaxies, and then then you multiply how many star like it's like a percentage base, then you multiply how many like, what percentage chance that each of those stars has a planet, and then what percentage chance each of those uh, planets are, like, habitable, so it's, like, a really low, and then what percent chance that life has gotten, and then what percent chance that life has survived long enough to get interstellar communication travel, wow. and it leads to, like, 900, like, living civilizations, like, in the... In the galaxy, I think it's it's a super a, a, wow. The Fer- that is I think so cool. I, let me let me confirm that right now. I think it is the Fermi equation. The, this is why I'm here, is because I could just kind of bring up random stuff that pops into my mind. Oh, that's great, Fermi <laughs> equation. But love long- of space, yes, that's exactly what uh, I mean. That's what brought a lot of us here. I think the Drake equation, not Fermi equation. The Fermi paradox is something different. It's the Drake equation, but they're kind of together.
3: So long story short. Aliens built the pyramids.
1: Yes, aliens (laughs) built the pyramids, definitely.
0: So, So, yeah, go ahead. Now, when you got into the mechanical engineering realm, was it anything like you expected with all the classwork and
2: everything? Yeah, and it was great. (laughs) Um, You know, the further you get, it was like more what I didn't even know was out there. Um, Things like stress analysis. Um, Didn't think that was a... But when you start off, you just do more calculus. You do... uh, some physics, and that's I expected that, and I love that. That's exactly what I was looking for. But as you go deeper, it's like, oh, you can apply this stuff, and that's what the classes kind of teach you to do. You know, it's got. Am I speaking loud enough? I was told to yell. Am I yelling? I gotta go back to <laughs> no, this. I think Sorry. You're good. Oh, cool, cool.
1: He can't. Know. He can't see the waveform. I can see the waveform. You're talking loud enough. Yeah,
2: I don't have a headset. They uh, <laughs> they don't like me that much. Yeah. we made sure.
1: We gotta make it, make it obvious he's not one of the hosts, so exactly. we have to exile him. <laughs> He's actually sitting in the corner right now. We haven't turned around so we do have to look at him.
4: <laughs>
1: so, you get to apply all this stuff. And so, right now, uh, what plans do you have to apply that outside of, like, once you graduate?
2: Um, actually, just today I talked to a professor I will be doing research with in grad school at o- Oregon State, Dr. Wurs, um Such a cool dude. Uh, does really cool stuff with plasma physics, and that's what I'll be getting into.
1: We were talking about that the other day, actually. Really? Yeah, we were mentioning some of Dr. Cambern's research with the ion propulsion, and Nathaniel and I were talking a little bit about some of the plasma research, and that's cool. And you're going to grad school? Yep. Is that for mechanical engineering masters or for aerospace? Well, actually, I don't think you do aerospace masters here. No, you can't.
2: Mm. It's mechanical. I think they're trying to, though. Yeah. Keep your eyes out. Hopefully.
1: That'd be cool. Yeah, grad, grad school is one that I want to do, but eventually. I don't know if I want to do it right out of school. Yeah, Cool. Yeah, I, I was about to say, because uh, with heart right now, getting into the heart aspect, <laughs> so from what you've learned in class, how much of that do you think you apply in heart? And it's completely fine if you don't apply all of it, but I, I sure, from USLI, I've applied quite a bit, and then a lot of it that I thought I would apply, a lot of it I have not. So how much do you guys end up actually applying
2: Uh, I'm on the structure. I focus on structures, um, and that's where a lot of my classes apply. Avionics, not so much. Um, Propulsion, not so much. Structures, though, um, stress, stress analysis, you know. Um, We flew a subscale launch, and before we changed material for the body tubes, it wasn't tested before in a previous flight, so we actually set up our own stress test. It was kind of janky, but it worked. You know, we were just figuring out where the stress concentrations were Point of failure,
1: and by I don't mean to interrupt. So for USLI structures is a little bit different. Uh, so for structures for heart, what what would what components would be considered structures for uh, the heart rocket?
2: Structures includes nose cone, body tubes, fins, and almost every structure uh, other component, hardware wise, in the rocket that isn't electronic. Avionics combines with recovery in our team, which means they also have control over parachutes and the recovery system. So. We're all the other. We're all the other components.
1: Do you have a separate propulsion team?
2: We do have a propulsion team. Yeah, they they mix their own solid fuel. Ah, uh, see,
1: I think we talked a little bit about that last week. Have you witnessed that mixing of fuels? The first one is happening
2: next week. We got moved to a another lab, so we're just setting it up right now, buying tables. Interesting,
1: because the mixing of fuel is something that I've always thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. However. Seems very dangerous, and I have no clue what I'm doing. So, and I'm sure you're not taking people, not taking visitors to come watch you mix the fuel. But I wish that they had some sort of uh, some sort of seminar to show off what they were doing.
2: Well, if you take the safety tests and you you get qualified, you can, you can come come and watch. Yeah, if you're qualified, you know, just know the safety measures, you're allowed to come. And that's the P lab, right? We used to go there um, hmm. on campus. There's a P lab, but we're now. Uh, and in a separate building on research way.
0: So do they have their own, um, safety classes they have to take or yeah, would it good be the question. same?
2: I, the sa- it's the same safety measure, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. How do you sign up for that? Oh, you go online. I, you have to talk. It's, it's a really weird gateway to do it. Um, I had to talk to, you guys know Connor Dawson. Yes. Hale. From Hale. Mm-hmm. Yep. He uh, helps manage the propulsion labs you have to go through him through email. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if there's a way to do it just online. Okay. Well, if you're
1: interested in mixing your own propellants here at uh, Oregon State University uh you can look into p lab qualifications uh you probably have to go through a few safety things first, but if you're interested uh you can do it. I mean, I think actually next week uh I am getting a well it's not as exciting, but I'm getting a wood shop certification. I think Nathaniel and I both are yeah so even though we're not structures <laughs> the the fins are covered on our end for aero recovery and propulsion on our sub team so or learning learning how to cut wood. never done that before living in Oregon. <laughs>
0: So. so, another question
2: though, heart uh, related. Is
0: this your first year on heart or have you been on heart previously?
2: Last year I got into aerospace through what was called Space Race. Uh, mm. it was it was an introductory thing to, to rockets in general and through that I helped heart actually apply the fins to our current subscale rocket. So I worked on that last year, but I wasn't part of the team. I was just a volunteer one day.
1: A volunteer. Ah, uh, we all st- actually. I didn't start as a volunteer. You started as a volunteer. Did you? Did you help out?
3: Not from the aerospace teams. I was part of the. Uh, what were they called? It was the the car teams. the GFR. Oh, the, the GFR and stuff. GFR like stuff. And I was I was doing a little bit of that, and I did a little bit of the blacksmithing stuff, and a little bit
2: a little bit of this, little bit
1: of a little bit. Little bit. You're getting a little taste for everything, you're right?
2: From cars to rockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, team Rocket. Let's go. Hello. Let's go. Yeah, there you go. Cool. What well, brought you to rockets instead of cars? Did you just want a variety of stuff?
3: Uh, yeah. Honestly, it was the, the variety, and the more I was looking at the what engineering can do. Um, you know, we already got things that go boom, you know. And if, uh, I like to be a part of big things. I get excited when I talk about big, important projects and things like that. Um, I can go on and on and on about like, oh, hey, all the new stuff that we could do. Hey, look at all this. Yeah. Um, and that that what gets me excited about engineering a lot. And all that new stuff is starting to be aerospace. You know, people are talking about colonizing Mars. Yes, it is. Yeah. People Heck. are like yeah. finding different, like, trying to travel out of the solar system, things like that. It's great. And I'm like, you know, I want to be a part of that.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: That's, uh, I mean, a- a- aerospace is cool. Let's just say that. Yeah. If they had a major for it here, uh, that would be great. I eventually would like to go down to Arizona to get an aerospace master's at asu okay
2: that's
1: that's the hard part though is i gotta go to arizona hey,
2: you're going to the desert no, mm, <laughs> great
1: yeah i was born and raised in oregon i would get there and be like
2: god, it's so dry. <laughs> it's not bad if you're like born and raised but going into it it's like oh my god yeah
1: i'm so used to like <laughs> oregon where and i i've lived in like the the middle of the woods like my entire life And so it's like you go to Oregon and I'd be like in like Tempe, Arizona, where there's like, you know, there's there's civilization. I'm like, even in Corvallis, like I'm still I'm still looking around like people being my neighbors is so weird. If I heard a knock on the door (laughs) at my home, like I would get like I I would get like the baseball bat, you know, (laughs) like skinwalkers or something out here.
3: It's definitely a shock. Yeah. Um, I went from Hawaii to Texas. And you came from Hawaii? From uh, I was born in Hawaii, but I Whoa. went from yeah. Hawaii <laughs> to Texas for my uh, um, during my freshman year of high school. And in Hawaii, I was always able to find where I was based off of the mountain faces. So I always knew awesome. where I was. Uh, yes. All I had to do was look up, and I knew exactly where I was. The stars for te- me. Then when I went to Texas... It's flat, flat. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had. It was a weird adjustment period because I n- never knew where I was. That is so wild. i
2: right? still never know where I am, but it's normal for me not to know. <laughs> 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 that is wild.
3: But like before, I lived in Hawaii. I lived in Los Angeles actually for a little bit. Oh
1: yeah, uh, I've like, California. And I was able
3: to like, hey, you know, you just look up. You're either seeing ocean or you're seeing mountain. You know, you you can orient yourself like that. Cool. And, and, That's
1: west. This is east.
3: Yeah, you know. Um, and then when I go to, you know, a flat place, I'm like, w- what's going on? <laughs> where am I? Drop
1: Kyle in Kansas and see what happens. Well, we
3: drove, we, we flew from Hawaii to Oregon and we drove all the way down through California and then from California all the way across to Texas. Oh my God. My so, Lord. And that was a long drive, but there was a lot of portions in that drive where we would just be a speck, um, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. on the horizon. And nothing exists. Nothing. Yep. Yeah. I mean,
1: I know, like, New Mexico has, like, uh, the the White Sands, like, uh, missile testing range. Like, that place is, like, it's literally desert for a reason, right? A government base that's a desert. They have internships. I think NASA has internships out there at White Sands. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> so, for, for Heart, um, we were kind of talking a little bit last week as well, like, uh, about your launch, the the RIP November 5th launch. Uh
2: yeah, it's when, okay.
1: When are you planning on launching again?
2: This Sunday. This Sunday? Yep. And
1: um, where's that at?
2: It's in Goldendale, Washington.
1: Goldendale, Washington. Are people able to come see?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be there by 8 o'clock a.m. Uh, I don't think launch opens until 9. Uh, but you can go through the Gorge Rocketry Club, they have a website, Gorge Rocketry Club. And yeah, speaking Golden Washington, you're more than welcome to come. And in fact, you can, uh, you know, you can buy a rocket model rockets there. I think there's a vendor who sells little kits. I'm not gonna promise that they're there because it's not the same vendor we're used to. But generally, it's Columbia just... Gorge Bob, rather yep, than Bob. Sun River Bob. Oh no, it's, it's his name's Scott. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sorry, sorry, sorry. that's a joke. <laughs> I'm slow. <laughs> um,
3: actually, I don't. I know we talked a little bit about what you guys do in the last one, but you weren't here for that, obviously. Um, can you, in your own words, describe the whole mission? Did we do, do
1: that already? No, not from his words. Not from his words No, this would be great to hear Those from you. the yeah.
2: mission? Yeah, what, what's your... Whoa. What's the point? Yeah, come on, give Why us all the deets. Give us heart? the deets. <laughs> what is what heart? What is heart? What is heart to you? Heart is the high-altitude rocket team. We have a altitude goal of 150,000 feet, and we'll do that using a two-stage rocket with house-made propellant.
1: That's the propellant we were discussing earlier, viewers. You eagle-eyed viewers would know that was what we were discussing earlier.
2: But um, <laughs> between now and the full scale, or or really the beginning of the project and full scale launch, you we do a couple subscales with uh, the the rocket that's flying this Sunday. It's made of cardboard, phenolic tubing. Um, much smaller. It's about eight feet long. The full scale is sixteen feet long. About we're trying to make it smaller uh, due to like aerodynamic benefits mm-hmm. so it's not all about the length yeah <laughs> um but yeah it's a, it's a lot uh do you want me to like give you all the details all of it <laughs> what Spill you at all t- like it, it, what is the two stage? Yeah. what does that mean okay how do um, you keep
1: it from launching directly into the ground
2: yeah okay so two-stage rocket means that you have two motors in the rocket the booster stage is the first that comes off the ground, but it's all together. So a booster just implies that you're launching the first motor. Once you're at a specific altitude, that motor is gone. Uh, the propellant in the motor is out, and you've you've pretty much done all you can with that. So you dump the weight, because it's really just um, additional weight you don't want. So you dump it out, and you, launch the, you fire the second motor. You now have a lighter rocket at an already high altitude, and you bring it the rest of the way. Um... The reason it doesn't hit the ground is because for both stages, you essentially have two separate rockets in the sky. So both stages have their own recovery system, Uh, dual deploy, which means the first parachute comes out, and it's called a drogue parachute. It's a small thing, and the goal of that is just to kind of reduce the acceleration as it's fallen down, but you don't drift too far away. Uh, You start off the project by doing what's called certification rockets, and what I did mine, my L1 certification through National Association of Rocketry, I... Launched my main parachute at Apogee, and I walked five miles to get that thing.
1: Oh, man. Yeah,
2: so you you have a drogue for a reason. <laughs> and then later on, you shoot the main, and that brings you slower down.
1: After it hits Apogee, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apogee is the highest point in the rocket's flight. At Apogee, you want to release the drogues, ideally. And then uh, much later, as that falls quite a bit, you assume it's under constant acceleration. Or actually, constant velocity, no acceleration, if it's drifting down the same speed, you hope. I'm not going to get into, like, the... But then, you, yeah, you release the main after that. Um, the project's scope of heart goes from two Frank and Kyle launches, which are just cardboard, to what's called a boosted dart. If you ever hear us talk about the term boosted dart, it's the entire full-scale rocket, but without that second motor I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So that's technically one of our subscale launches. It's the same length, the same rocket, but we fill... The sustainer, which is the second stage, what's supposed to be the second motor, we fill that stage with sand or cement. We'll decide later, but just to simulate the weight of what was supposed to be the motor. So you only go up to about 10,000 feet with that, and the sustainer takes you the rest of the 140,000 feet.
1: So which motor is bigger? Is it the the first stage or the second stage?
2: Geometrically, they're both the same size. Chemically, they're a bit different. Sustainer is a slow-burning motor that lasts a lot longer than the booster. Booster kicks you off the ground while you're in dense air, low altitude, just to get you off the ground fast. So it burns within like a second or two.
1: So it's a high impulse, high thrust, low impulse, lower thrust, not as low. Correct. Okay. Very cool.
0: And so where's the final launch going to take out for, or be taking place for HART?
2: Yes. We're figuring out whether we're going to go to Spaceport America for our full scale. Not in the day of the cup. So there's this thing called the Spaceport America Cup, and that's where colleges all compete to uh, show off their rockets. There, there are challenges you have to, you have to partake in, and you're you're ranked based off of achieving those goals. We're just there to shoot Franken cow uh, for one of those days at the cup. We're gonna be a demonstration team, but after the cup, we're hoping to launch our full scale there. Um, if that doesn't work out we'll go to nevada so spaceports in new mexico and black rock which is the launch site for the full scale in the past that's in nevada
0: so then will you potentially be
2: launching with Hale? we will be hopefully
1: High altitude liquid engine for those of you who have not watched the previous episode
2: yep that would be, be really pretty cool that would be pretty sick yeah we're honestly kind of hoping that we do just cuz you know that that'd be sick.
1: Hale Hale is uh Hale we'll, we'll try to have someone from Hale on and talk about their project. But their project is I think that like USLI is cool and obviously I have my own bias there, but I think Hart and Hale are probably the coolest like um, rocket teams that are here because because you go so high. Because there's there's so many difficulties that you have to experience with these rockets that like no one like a percentage of people ever will try to figure out, right? Like, that distance is, is vast for you guys to cover. Especially being a dual stage. Yeah, dual stage.
0: Reigniting midair. There's
1: so many things that could go wrong, too. Like, um, not to not to bring up bad memories, but what what <laughs> occurred at uh, Tober. Do you want to explain that?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, it's good stuff. That's why we have subscale launches. Um, it's made of cardboard and phenolic, so you're not getting much practice with structural builds, right? You're not manufacturing fins. You're not doing all the stuff you would do for full scale. But avionics and recovery is the reason 73% of rockets fail. It's the hardest part. It's easy to get up, generally. It's hard to come back down. And so subscale launches let us test uh, our computers and make sure our parameters are okay. What happened at Rocketober was we came off, where we shot off, initially, a crooked rail. It's about six degrees off. And, you know, the rocket continues on that path, and some aerodynamics occurs to where we tilt a little bit more. And on our computer, we have a lockout of 16 degrees. If the rocket exceeds 16 degrees from vertical, we consider it relatively unsafe to launch the sustainer. And because it exceeded that, we couldn't launch the sustainer. Therefore, both stages came back recovered. You know, the recovery worked well. We just exceeded that limit of 16 degrees.
1: And because it already started that six-degree tilt, it that's, didn't have as much to go off of, or it didn't have as much leeway to make up?
2: Yeah, that's one of the reasons, you know, Oh, uh, come come Sunday, we'll have a very sturdy tower uh, instead of that flimsy rail that we had. That's a, an aspect of launching that you want to consider.
1: Is that from the site, or is that your guys' that you brought for Rocket tower No, it was from the
2: site, and um, they didn't have a way to adjust it. You could put pegs under each of the legs or, like, some thing to lift one of the legs up. Eyeball it. Yep. Wow. Well, yeah, there's a way to test the angle of the Telemegas too on the computer.
1: Yes, the Telemegas. We are quite familiar.
2: I <laughs> when I'm in Maryfield, I hear you guys beeping it out. Oh, uh, yes. I'm it, like, ah, oh, I remember. That.
1: Yeah, our our Telemegas, <laughs> our Telemegas. You can ask Nathaniel. I've been working on. I've been working on those stupid Telemegas for. For so long. So, for those who do not know what a telemega is, which I assume is almost everyone, a telemega is a little flight computer um, that you use for high-power rocketry, and you put it on the rocket to be, like, your altimeter. It has GPS. Uh, you can have it run your uh, ejection charges in your rocket, so, like, your black powder and all that, uh, and it, it's it's a pretty amazing piece of technology for how small it is, but the way that it it functions like to get from like our pad and launch configuration is kind of infuriating especially when we don't have the manual and it's old technology from previous USALI teams and we have
2: no clue what we're doing. Yeah, we could help you out.
1: Yeah. I, I think <laughs> I I was about to say we would appreciate <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> yeah, cuz yeah. we've messed with I've messed with it and I've gotten we've gotten pretty far so far. But man, those things it just makes me mad.
2: Our avionics lead uh, Mason will be much better at helping you out, but I can try. It. Mason's uh Really good at that stuff. Yeah, I
1: talked to Mason briefly about it, and I think we're getting... They're out of stock on TeleMegas Online, so we have two from old years, so we're going to use one TeleMega on our subscale, and then we're going to use the better TeleMega on our final launch with an Easy Mega as a backup telemetry.
2: So... Yeah. Yep.
1: <laughs> very cool stuff. Yeah, and it's not a lot of... The people don't think about, like... Uh, like, I could say from my own experience, being ignorant of rocketry, uh, I did not realize how much electrical... Work goes into rocketry, even without a payload, like because if, like you said, if you did not have that sustainer, or like the the, the telemetry to to lock out the sustainer.
2: I like, mean, you couldn't shoot a two stage; you wouldn't be able to separate. Yeah, I mean, you mm-hmm. could yeah, probably ways, but no, yeah.
1: Or if you didn't have the ability
2: not to do that
0: safely, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah if you didn't I have know. the ability to do that lockout, then you might be going a little bit farther than five miles for your rocket, right?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure you could do without electronics.
1: I'm still pretty amazed that. You had to walk five miles to get your L1. Was that it, in that, Brothers?
2: That, that wasn't the radius of which the rocket landed. That was me walking around oh, missing it as I was going past okay. it, coming back, going back.
1: I, is that in Brothers? Yep. Oh, man. I did that I did that exact same thing when I was looking for mine. I was like, where is it? And, of course, there's just like a rainbow sticker on it, a red shoot, <laughs> and then the body is like white. So, And then like, I thought it would stick out more, but, man, it's th- that brush covers everything. Mine was pitch black. Well, (laughs) both
2: both my L one and L two, I just like black. But it was great in the sky. It comes out like a, a a a cool sore thumb, you know, not a bad sore thumb, but a cool sore thumb. Sticks out. The radius is like a mile and a half.
3: See, I'm taking notes because I still have yet to do my L one his, Yeah, and I think we're doing that when we take our uh, subscale out December. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So mine's gonna. I'm gonna think I'm gonna. uh, Put about those Apple AirPods in, or not the AirPod, but the uh, the tile, the tile. Air Tag. AirTag, AirTag. Yeah. There we go. That's what yeah, I was
1: joking uh, about putting my wallet. Yeah, in you there. were joking about
3: that. I'm like, hey, you know, that's, that's a good idea. I feel like that. it would work. It I mean, would work, like know?
1: there was surprisingly like what 4G out there too. Like I did not expect there to be internet. So, yeah, I, I mean, that, it I'm could work.
3: Bring it to like neon something. I don't know. <laughs> like green or.
1: You gotta like run after it, like as it's coming back. <laughs> you gotta make sure you're last to launch and like follow it and like f- run after it basically as it's falling. Like they, that's like the best way I could think of to keep track of it. On
3: the parachute, I'm just gonna
2: put a kite and then I'll attach a string. <laughs> <have to> go <laughs> e- even farther. Well, there are ways to do everything you guys are talking about. The, mm-hmm. the streamers work, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, shiny streamers, like the ones that are fluorescent and shine in the light, the sun. You can also do, one of our people did, uh, one of our members had a a noisy beeper in the rocket. So as you get closer, you can just hear the rocket from afar.
1: Yeah, Um, we noticed that Telomega has that capability of just being (laughs) noisy. uh, Because we've we've gotten it to get into launch configuration. And then, like, you know, I, like, drop it or, like, move it up, and it thinks it's going, it's, like, 800 feet already. So it's, like, launching everything, and then, like, all the LEDs light up, and then it hits land, and it just beeps. It just beeps until you, you unplug it. Which first, is obnoxious. Too, which oh is yeah, <laughs> my computer is like, 800 feet. Are you saying Yeah, <laughs> 900 feet. And I'm like,
0: Booster engaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Coasting. Yeah. Main shoot deploy. I'm like, whoa. But it's like, yeah, because remember we were messing with it earlier and my computer just started talking. I'm like, am I still on Discord? Like, am I still in the team meeting? And it's like, no, my computer's just telling me, like, one of these days it's going to say something. Like, your soul is mine. <laughs>
2: scary I, I do have one thing to uh, three there are three tips that rocketeers have told me before i launched my l1 and, oh, it hel- and it helps you find them first as the rocket's coming down pay attention to a far away uh vent like a viewpoint such as a mountain tip a mountain peak and remember that peak as you walk out so you can kind of keep yourself oriented so that's one two as you're standing and watching it fall if you're in dirt, make a line with your foot towards the rocket so that if you get lost, you can come back, check your footprint, and find the line again. And then the faraway viewpoint helps orient yourself as well. So that was two. And three it's bring a compass. Mm, the have, compass is a good idea. Have a cardinal direction, yeah.
1: I remember one trick that I found because, of course, I was the first one to launch out of our USLI group. And so I had the hardest time finding mine. And it was also just me looking for, like, the first, like, 30 minutes. And it's in the sun. And, like, <laughs> I have my water bottle. And I have, like, barely any water left at the bottom. Oh, and we're still there for, like, another, like, four hours. So I'm like, man, where is this stupid rocket?
2: When I went out on mine, I had, like, goldfish out of PB&J. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the luxury.
1: <laughs>
4: yeah, that, that's Your awesome.
2: luxury right there. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I was going to say, you got your caviar with you as well. It's Wine exciting. and caviar.
3: <laughs> Taking notes. <Bring> yeah. Snacks.
1: <laughs> well, also, I, I took a video of oh, yeah. it going okay. down and then watching the video over again to see, like, the orientation, like, in the direction it landed in from where I was standing. That also really helped. Like, seeing how it would have landed or how far it seemed to... Look uh, like for the, from the perspective that I had.
2: They say wherever you, however far you think it landed, double it. <laughs>
1: that's what I. That's what that they. I was literally out there looking and like I'm like looking out for all the rattlesnake holes and all that, you know. And uh, I was like, Hey, have you seen a parachute? You know, or have you seen a red parachute rocket? It's a. It's pretty long. They're like, Well, however long you think it went, double it. And I was like, <laughs> and an old man was like, Yeah, I think I saw one like about 300 yards that way. I was like, and I walked like. I probably walked 900 yards in that direction. That old man was wrong. (laughs) And so, like, I started walking back, and I was like, man, I'm never going to find this. A kid who had just launched his, because I was standing right outside, like, the range where you need to, like, no one could stand there. So they're launching him, like, above my head. And this kid launches his, and it lands, like, probably within, like, 100 feet of me. And uh, he comes over and grabs it. He's like, oh, sweet. He's like, I'm like, hey, have you seen a, a red parachute? And a a red parachute rocket. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'll help you look." He's looking for like two minutes. He's like, "Oh, I think I see it." I'm like, "Really?" And I run over, and it's my rocket. Oh wow! And like the chute had like conveniently like fallen like underneath a shrub. (laughs) In the open, and I was like, "Oh my lord!" But you know what? It wasn't damaged. So
2: shout out to that kid, man. Yeah, I was like, I was
1: like, dude, thank you so much. I mean, it was from UFO though. Uh, He had a UFO jacket on, so yeah.
2: Just kidding. Blame the Just parent. kidding. <laughs> 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 nah, you know.
1: High powered rocketry is cool. I, I, I didn't know I was going to be on this capstone until I did it, and I'm I'm very much enjoying it. I, I get to meet and work with a lot of cool guys, and I get to hear about a lot of cool projects like Heart. So we, uh, I, I'm enjoying it. It's a good time. So high powered rocketry is really cool. And if you're interested, uh, please reach out to us or reach out to Heart, Hale, USLI. Um, all of us would love to teach
0: anyone who's interested more. Also, doesn't Heart have some social medias?
2: We do. Uh, Instagram, heart underscore OSU.
0: So be sure to check them out and also check out the OSU AIWA Instagram as well. And inside of our bio has all the other projects. Can me... I hear that uh, Instagram tag again? I, th- I
2: think it's heart underscore OSU. Heart. Underscore OSU. Sorry,
0: I'm
1: logging in from the oh, the Oregon State US... The old Rocketry team apparently did not follow you guys, so don't worry. I'll take care of that right now. Oh, right on. Oregon <laughs> State. Well, I I we usurped this account and it's got like a thousand followers. So now I'm just in control of it. I mean, we are in control of it. Oh. So. Oh, that's,
2: is that you with your rocket? Event?
1: Oh yeah yeah yeah. This is me at, at Rocket Tower. Oh,
2: <laughs>
1: we had a few other select pictures that Nathaniel. Refused to upload to the drive, but...
0: Well, they're in the drive, but just the USLI drive. The USLI drive, (laughs) Drive, the meme drive.
2: You have a meme drive? That's great. We have
1: a meme... Well... A lot of memes. We have a lot of memes, (laughs) yes. Let's just say that USLI, as much NASA professional stuff that we do, we still have fun. (laughs) So,
3: The guys who inherit our stuff before after us is going to have a lot of questions yes we were actually hoping
1: like Nathaniel and I have been kind of talking about with uh, one of our volunteers Jose as well about trying to set up some sort of like better training for the next team of USLI like giving them a better idea of like what goes into the document like here's what we did like here's some software you can use for this like because it's there's no promise that like the next error recovery propulsion team will even know what open rocket is I didn't know what open market was, or even how to use the telemega, or how to use the telemega, or how to understand the beeps. Yes, the beeps, the, the jeeps. <laughs> oh, <and> the <laughs> We've been making that joke all day because we messed with the telemega <laughs> all day. The spaceballs joke for everyone.
0: But yeah, Jose is trying to help. Um, he's always trying to make it kind of a AI thing, where all the teams will have some way of creating this resource to pass on the legacy. So a lot of information is more passed on than dropped off and you're just kind of... We've been
2: talking about it too. We should <clears throat> set up like a formal get-together meeting to talk about it. Definitely. And maybe have people designated to, uh, to run that or to like... We'll set up a formality. It should be done. It needs to be done. It should should definitely
0: done. does, yeah. Because
1: it was certainly... I mean, coming in and not knowing like anything about what's going on and learning from all the the sub team leads who do better than me. So, I mean that's the, that's the point right, is surround yourself by people smarter than you. Mm-hmm. So, that's oh, yeah. like the best way to learn.
3: I think even then most of us are kind of shooting in the dark or, you know?
1: I mean that's how you learn too, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you learn through like I feel like I've learned open rocket pretty well now from just iterating with Nathaniel for our PDR for like like how many hours do we put in like over like 2 days? Too like many. 25? <laughs> Yeah, we put in like twenty five hours each. I
0: don't like, even remember the days anymore. Yeah,
1: they kind of just blended together. <laughs> it was. I, I remember. It, there's an interesting dichotomy between Nathaniel and I because I'm team lead, and then he's my sub team lead because I'm on air recovery propulsion. So we have an ongoing joke where if I'm just like working. And I'm like, man, I'm hungry. And then I just keep working. Nathaniel forces me to take a break. He's like, union break time. Union break <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, union break time. <laughs> union break. I'm like, come on, just let me finish. He's like, nope, union break. That's where the peaceful mutiny happened. Uh, they took me off of one of the sub teams. So Multiple sub teams. Multiple sub teams. <laughs> I could have done it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I could have done it.
1: <laughs> uh, you know what they say, misery loves company, right? <laughs> Uh yes, but man yeah thank you for for talking about uh, heart and yeah any events that you know of other than the the one coming up this weekend that uh, you'd want people to be at or like are you doing any sort of like uh like talks with like AIWA for like the I know there's like one coming up in like November where they have like an open house at like the Memorial Union do you know of anything like that nope nope fair enough
2: oh well I I know of like I can at least say like, I didn't know about the Memorial Union however. Heart does have weekly meetings on Fridays at 11.15 a.m. in Rogers, 226. If you ever want to come, you're more than welcome to. We have a a cool volunteer-led project that we need um, people on. We're basically trying to motorize and autonomize a directional antenna so that when we launch our full scale, we don't have to track it with our hands. We can just let it track the rocket by itself. And volunteers are pretty much taking that over. It's a... It's a little bit difficult, I would think. Very um,
1: cool, though. I think it's – we were talking about that today. We said, you know, if Hart, Hart pulls this off, we can mooch off
2: of him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, it would be a good resource for AIAA in general if we can replicate it to all the teams. and yeah. And then they can optimize it over the years. That right? could
1: be like a capstone project on its own, I feel like.
2: That's why I said it's a little bit difficult, and it's kind of, you know – It's a good project. It's a good project. I'm not sure it'll happen by the end of the year, but it, to to theorize it, to conceptualize it, and to come up with a design anyway is just good engineering practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, like, you don't necessarily need it to be finished for you to still have a successful, like, total mission for heart. It would certainly help because you don't have to do a lot of the, the handheld labor, but having that self-tracking, if you manage to get that all going, that would be super cool
2: and we're giving it to volunteers just because it's not integral we don't need it but it, it would help us so much and it'd be so good to put on a resume oh yeah it's
0: kind of like uh in 2019 when i first joined heart uh, they were doing the vacuum for the propulsion mixing so that way your propulsion will set in easier that was a whole capstone uh Capstone
2: project in its own. Dude, I try to get propulsion to just say, okay, we'll buy motors. We don't need to mix them. Because that's a whole <laughs> thing, and it's, dude, it makes the project double the effort and complexity, you know? I mean, it's good stuff, you know? It's it's cool. We wouldn't be heart without it, but if we were really shooting for the 150,000 goal, we might just buy motors and then throw the rocket up there in half the time, but then it's not fun. It's not as fun.
3: Also, I don't think you'd learn as much because that seems like a
2: useful
0: skill to know, like hands on,
2: you know. It's very hands on. It's it's practical for those wanting to get in propulsion. It just offers a lot for people. It's very mm-hmm. it's very true.
0: It's also just it's what makes heart too. That's right. the that yeah. hand mixing. Yep. Hand dual mixing dual stage and hand Ooh, mixing. Baby.
2: Twelve hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's I'm primed. laughs> oh man.
3: Um I actually had a question for you. What's that? So part of this podcast is about reaching out to people who are new to engineering or might think about going into engineering and you know stuff like that. Sure. Um, would you? What would you have liked to know? Mm-hmm. Then that you know now, like getting into it.
2: It's not just cars. <laughs> <laughs> really though, man. I mean, like here, I, I'm go next year. I'm I'm not doing direct mechanical engineering anymore. I'm going to be studying plasma physics. And it's still related. I mean, you're gonna be—you might be designing machines that house the the plasma. But in general, it's it's a research opportunity. You can do projects um, if you like to build stuff. If you like physics, if you like calculus, you'll find your place in mechanical. There's so many compartments. It's so broad. If you're in mechanical, you're the jack of all trades. You take electrical. You take mechanical, obviously. You know a bit of chemistry. You, I mean, you, you obviously do civil. You I'm your, just kidding. Yeah, you, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We, you know,
1: you learn your physics and all that too as well? Like with, in engineering, like you kind of get a little bit of the physics aspect in with the engineering?
2: Absolutely. I mean, dude, it's mechanics and materials, um, yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> Don't forget the material science. I got a bunch
2: of friends doing that right now. I love material science. It's part of the research I'll be doing. Oh, yeah. It's great stuff, dude
1: sorry i'm I'm giving Kyle <laughs> a glare you're
3: you making a joke <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so much taller than
1: you can you can that lengthen to, like... that mic yeah hang on everyone's about to be might be deafened in a second here oh rut row there you go sorry Kyle is his head is actually poking through the ceiling of the dungeon he's so tall <laughs> so we're just trying to make sure his mic is all set up
3: sorry.
2: Had to hunch over to get real and <laughs> close I, with his
1: I, I mic. I probably should. Uh, I should a,
2: probably fix my. He's little. a tall guy. If you don't know him, <laughs> it's he's like our <laughs> entire
1: team is filled with giants. Have you noticed that?
2: Yeah, I have to look up at all you guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, like we have, like uh, we have, like Ryan, and then like even like Isaac, James, you, like it's a bunch of giants. I don't know what's in the water where all you guys have been drinking, but I don't know. I don't get it. So, yeah, and, and then with our podcast as well, we uh we also tend to delve into some tangents and topics outside of OSU as well. So I know that there's been some stuff going outside uh going on outside the realm of OSU but still within the STEM region. Uh Nathaniel, I believe you knew a little bit more about some of that.
0: Yeah, so there's actually a few few things going on um First things first is uh, Lockheed Martin. Uh, they did their first autonomous Blackhawk flight for medevac reasons. Um, That's the, the
1: helicopter, right? Not like yes. a drone. No, yes. It's a blackhawk Hawk. Is helicopter. that the first time they've ever autonomously flown a
0: helicopter? Without pilots. Without, so without pilots. no one on board. Oh. And this helicopter full on did a whole medevac, quote unquote, mission, but simulation. Wow. Like no one behind the wheel at all. No, like, no one. No, the wheel, no, the no wheel. No steering wheel, wheel at, at all. a <laughs> human person inside this helicopter. Wow. So there's like, like a scaled up drone, like a really scaled big, up drone. big drone. It, no, it's just the regular Blackhawk helicopter, just flying without people. Yeah. Wow.
3: Yeah. Whoa. Like, like. I think what I'm trying to ask is zero intervention. There's no one in someone's basement with a joystick. It, it's, it, is on. it?
1: So it's automated. Yes, uh, that's what they're... It's
3: in. completely no. automated. Autonomous, yeah.
2: <gasps> Whoa! So not an ar- not a... Okay. Not this a is a game changer. This <laughs> it's, 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 it's reminds Thank me of the Terminator,
1: change. Skynet.
0: Yeah, um, and then kind of leading on to that, I've been doing some job searching and stuff, and everyone's heard of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, where they did the SR-71 project and the U2 Um Boeing has their own, quote-unquote, skunk words project. It's called Phantom Works. Um, Phantom Works. Phantom. That is a pretty cool yeah, name. Phantom Works. And so I just thought that that was crazy because, I mean, I didn't know Boeing had this little secret side to them.
1: I think that it's like all these all these like uh, aerospace companies. It's amazing – what they have done, what they have made, compared to what they can make, are like so they do like a lot of contracting for the government from like commercial and like the like military and stuff like that. But like thinking back to like the SR seventy one, like that thing, because I, I, I think that it's a lot of people's favorite planes just because it looks cool. First off, as an engineer. I mean, like, if I was designing that, I'd be like, Yeah, this looks cool. I'm gonna design this to look cool. Yeah, I mean Nathaniel's oh, wow. showing us his uh, oh, his tablet tra- right now. It's
2: a transformer right there. It, it,
1: it? Oh, <laughs> it's uh what's his name? Jet something. Yeah. Starscream? No, nah, no, no. You silly <laughs> gooses. <laughs> yeah, just <it's a> <laughs>
2: something like that.
1: No, 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 no. Stop that. That's not Starscream. Starscream is an F thirty five. My goodness. Oh, we have a super fan. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the name of... I used to really like Transformers, okay? I used to think that it was robots <laughs> in your eyes rather than robots in disguise. Or <laughs> robots in the sky. <laughs> that was another one. <laughs> so, I don't remember the name of him now. Now I need to look it up. Man, you guys suck. But the SR-71... Fun fact about the SR-71, for those that don't know, the best way that they would... Cause so, SR-71s were shot at... Um, during the Cold War, and th- the way that they would evade them was literally just... It was like missiles. They are just, speed up.
0: Speed up. <laughs> speed up and go up and out. Speed up, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll, we'll just go faster. <laughs> yeah, it,
1: it, it yeah. was... I mean, that's like the best way of evading anything. They literally just like, pump
0: it. Pump <laughs> it! it. The SR-71 is still the world's fastest plane. Wow.
1: I know that wow. the they're discussing... I don't know if it... It might be Lockheed, but the... Uh, what's his... Hang on. Jetfire. I was I was close. Hey, hey, hey. That guy, right? That's it. That's yeah, it. look yeah. at me. I'm a Transformer's Jet head. Um, but the... the I forgot what it's called. But the, the Dark Star, I think. I think it was in the Maverick. Um, what is that movie? Top Gun Maverick.
0: That's the SR-72, and it is also by the, the Skunk Son Works. The
1: Son of Blackbird. Yes. That's what they've called it.
0: It is also by Skunk Works as well, from Lockheed.
1: I think that has a theoretical max speed of like 10. Mach 10. Wow. Because it, it it's so ridiculous. Like, because okay, I also play some Microsoft Flight Simulator here, here and there. <laughs> and, uh, I have like the joystick and all that, and like basically you have basically it has like the normal jets, and then you get above a certain altitude, and then once you get over like Mach 1.5, um, and like eighty thousand feet, you kick in like the scram jets, and you just zoom up to like the upper atmosphere, and basically that's you can like round the whole globe in like under two hours. Wow. Which is Nuts, Mach ten. I don't think that your fuel will last that long. (laughs) But Mach ten, could you imagine that?
2: Not inside. (laughs) Not inside. inside. Um, Actually, I had a
3: question just for
0: people who don't know
3: who are are listening. uh, Can you explain Skunk Works?
0: Yeah, so actually, Skunk Works is a very uh, secret side of Lockheed Martin. Um, They do a lot of. I guess, in a sense, emerging technologies into aircrafts. Um, they're, again, uh, kind of DOD-contracted, so they can't really talk a lot about what they do. But it is kind of one of those things, that's if you're part of Skunk Works, no one knows about it. Yeah. Uh, no one ever will know about it.
1: <laughs> well, the SR-71, eventually,
0: we found out. I think this, yeah. That got declassified, right? Yeah. Eventually. And normally, a lot of what goes on with Skunk Works, and I'm not sure about Phantom Works. I mean, I just came across it. But a lot that goes on with Skunk Works is usually in the uh what Area 51. So, that's where they have all the aliens, uh, really right? conspiracy aliens, yeah. theories right now. <laughs> the area Do you 51.
2: guys believe in Area 51? Oh, yeah, that's definitely a oh, thing.
1: Okay. So, now you're going to get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not not necessarily like alien like spaceships, but there has definitely been classified stuff that goes on at Area 51. Um, and they definitely have built, like, a lot of classified aircraft and tested it there.
2: Oh, okay. Area 51 is the thing. I remember there being a weird thing a couple of years ago where they, like, oh. wanted to raid it. Yeah, we're going oh, to storm yeah. Area
3: 51. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, they were going to, like, uh, <laughs> they, they were going to run at it. Yeah, then a bunch of people, like, stand on, like, the border and they're like, yeah, if you run, we'll shoot you. And they're like, okay. <laughs> no, I don't think, I
1: think that people literally just, like, walked up in, like, green suit alien costumes. and were like, whoa, we're here for the raid. <laughs> I don't think that any. I think there's like a mo. Like like you said, like
2: they were gonna run at it. Yeah, I think that there's a. There's a. Uh, I think they're there's a
1: Naruto run at it.
0: There's that saying that if we all run at it, they can't get us all. Or they something they can't like get that. us all. Yeah, yeah. If yeah just, that. just one of us has to get
3: in and get <laughs> <But> an alien. <laughs> that belted machine gun would. But tell actually, you actually, that,
0: because of that, they started releasing some uh, unredacted files. I don't know if you guys saw that. I
1: think that that was also. Well, there's the Freedom of Information Act, which I know mm. they have to unclassify things after a certain amount of time. Was that in response to people saying they're just going to run at Area 51?
0: I believe so, but it might you it think might so? have just been
1: coinciding. I mean, with, I'm not with saying that it didn't. As well. <laughs> that would just be really comedic if the U.S. government was like, uh "Oh, hold on, oh no, they're coming. <laughs> we got to release the documents. We got to fight them
0: off." I mean, they didn't release everything. They just put like a little, you know, little, little
1: salt. Well, I know that the the U.S. government also kind of confirmed the existence of not yeah well ufos there's another fancy name for it uaos or something like that but it's like they've admitted there's been craft that that like pilots have come across that they don't know where they're from or like they don't know what it is they've they've people think that that confirms like aliens that's actually a good question do y'all think that aliens have visited earth before Okay. So prior question: Do you think aliens exist? Yes. Good. Good answer. That—that's
3: a hard question, actually.
1: I think to answer because
3: part of me says yes. I think aliens exist simply because there has to be some sort of life out there. Let me narrow it down.
1: There. Let me narrow it down. Okay. So, do we all are we all in agreement that some form of life exists somewhere else in the universe?
2: Yes. Yes. I think it's extremely probable.
1: Yes. So, and then. I'm not saying, like, little green men or even, like, intelligent life that can, like, get across, like, the solar system. Biological matter somewhere. Yes. And then, like, the second step is, like, do you think that there is another, not necessarily human, but another, like, living species, not necessarily on our level or maybe even higher, do you think that they exist? Not like they can get across the solar system or, like, across the universe to us.
3: That, I think, is a harder question to ask because if you look at it, um, our situation is kind of phenomenal. Because we have had, like, as Earth, a couple extinction events, Mm -hmm. and we have not existed nearly as long as, say, like the dinosaurs. But
1: living things have.
3: Living things have, but intelligent living things—that's another question.
1: And then you can get into the nitty-gritty of what defining intelligence is. Like a dolphin is pretty smart. I
3: think they. I can't remember (laughs) which. Pink there was a too. anthropology professor, and she said the first sign of intelligent civil in civilization, not just intelligent life, but intelligent civilization, was a bone that mended. It was a femur bone that mended. Oh, I've heard about this. And uh, if you haven't heard about it, it's because a femur bone in nature, if that breaks, that's that's you know your 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 main leg bone. If that breaks, you're pretty much dead. Like
1: it takes so long to heal.
3: Yeah,
2: my mom uh, broke her femur.
3: Yeah, but in nature, oh, in nature, no one's
1: there because there's take no, care there's no, no, there's not enough medical science to to, to Sorry, let yeah. that cure over time. So
3: pretty much, you know, ancient, you know, civilizations, if they were to exist, would have to be able to care or at least have the uh, brain capacity to understand that me taking care of this person who has been injured and is weak right now can have long term benefits.
1: That's an interesting way to analyze it. Huh. I, I'm certainly. I'm certainly of the the mindset that I don't necessarily think that we've been visited by aliens before. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I just say that it's more improbable. Um, but I would say that it's a numbers game, kind of like the Drake equation I mentioned mm. earlier. Literally, the universe is so big.
2: I, th- I think it's hard to understand how big it is. Yeah. And for that reason, I do think there's some form of intelligent life out there.
1: Bingo. Mm-hmm. It's just like. It, like and uh, it's like there's like billions of galaxies and like trillions of galaxies and like if each of these trillions of galaxies had like at least one billion stars, but we know that they have way more. And then you have like all
2: this expansion from the
1: planets and all that. It's like there's got to be at least one I out think it's there. It's more far
2: out to say we are the only ones.
1: I think it's I think it's selfish to even think that.
3: Well, it's a scary thought either way. It's one we're alone. Yes, that's my. And then f- the other is we're not alone. That's that-
1: my favorite Arthur C. Clarke quote: "Is yeah, uh, there are two possibilities that exist in the universe: either we're alone, or we aren't, and both are equally terrifying." <laughs> that's my favorite quote. Two thousand one Space Odyssey is still my favorite movie too and book.
3: Um, I actually saw the saw a theory. I can't remember where it was. It was some sort of lecture, and it was. Um, a theory of why, you know, if there is intelligent life out there, why haven't they visited us? Are, are they really little green men mm-hmm. floating around the, the cosmos, you know, visiting other planets? Yeah. And it's either they're so advanced that they don't even bother with us, mm-hmm. or they're at the same or lower level than we are right now. Yeah. And they're both, we're both just, you know, shooting things among the stars, trying to figure out what's yeah. going on.
1: I've heard a couple of different theories. There's one called the Great Filter which is essentially we haven't hit a technological advancement point uh, for them to be like, okay, you're in, you're in the club now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at a certain point, like we might hit like, say we figure out how to get like uh, almost limitless energy with like fusion. Like maybe then the aliens would be like, hey, hey, how you doing, pal? You're in the club now. You know that's good. Or the zoo theory, which is we haven't been contacted by aliens because essentially they're they think that either we're too dangerous or they just kind of want to watch us and see what happens. And then the third one is. Uh this is kind of an abstract one, but do y'all, do y'all know what a mayfly is? And Do you know the lifespan of a mayfly? I've
2: yeah. heard of a mayfly. I don't know the lifespan.
1: It's like a day. And so, like, mm. if you think about it from, like, the perspective, if the bug was intelligent enough to have its femur healed, if the bug was intelligent enough to understand, like, its perspective in life, like... You know, a whole day is its entire lifetime. And it probably doesn't realize that because the time scale is probably like its entire lifetime is probably equal to ours in that mindset. But it could like fly next to us and see us and be like, this is like a tree. Like it's been here for like thousands of my years, quote unquote. And then that's kind of like us. Like we walk next to a tree, which is another living thing. And that living thing has been there for, you know, so long. And we don't think of it as living because it's been there that whole time because our time scale is so much different than a tree's because we have a much shorter life dance, lifespan than a tree. So it might be that either we're on the mayfly scale and our lifespan is ridiculously like like essentially we don't exist or it's it doesn't matter enough to contact us because then – the ecosystem of the universe, our life scale is not even worth it, or we're the trees, where everything else is just dying out so quickly that uh, we don't know that, uh, or they don't know that we exist. Wow, that, that one is the that one I find most interesting. So that oh, that, that scale, cool. that was
0: cool. I'm mind boggled right now. Yeah, just I know. Thinking my... about that, it only, it only took me, us uh... two episodes to get to aliens.
3: <laughs> would, would you guys like to hear another um, biological? Love uh, to milestone love to so do you know humans are one of the only species of animals that has their skeleton supporting the brain case
1: really i didn't know that that currently living currently living
3: um so like dogs they mostly have their muscles supporting the the weight of their Ah, head i see what you mean um if you have a structure that doesn't have to be constantly you know maintained like muscles you're saving energy by having a heavier head
1: that's why i have back problems yes exactly i'm gonna blame nature for that one mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> we uh we sacrificed uh, consciousness for back problems so uh, <laughs> i
1: don't know if it was worth it <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> but pretty much and then you know the standing on the, the two legs you know then it's all about efficiency so we have consciousness and then efficiency and it's a trade-off oh now we're conscious and efficient if you, you've never heard about the uh um persistent hunting
1: persist Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. were that were endurance hunters. Mm-hmm. Well, like cats and like other predators are like they go for it and that they miss. yeah like, you ever seen like a, a lion like in a video like miss a gazelle and yeah. then it's like, ah, well, yeah, it's true. Time to go lay down. Yeah, yeah <laughs> then they don't eat. Yeah.
3: That's why cheetahs are actually going extinct because they spend so much energy energy in a hunt, and if they fail, that that. And that's a huge amount of resources wasted. How interesting. Rather, We we, we just kind of like show up, throw a rock at you, they'll run away. And yeah. Then well, that's like we'll great. show up again, throw a rock at them, and then they'll run away. And then eventually they're going to get tired. That's
1: how like early man got mammoths. It's like you go in, you throw like one spear into it. It's going to be like, oh, I'm out. And then like you just kind of follow but it for like go, another day. You
2: got 25 before you eat dinner. Yeah. Probably <laughs> 200 <laughs> probably. That's a big animal. Yeah.
1: Jeez. I wonder how many calories are in a mammoth. It's a potluck right there. That's, that's the, that that that's would be, that'd be some good math right there. I wonder how many calories are in a mammoth. So
2: much varying <laughs> meat types. I mean, you know, the kind of meat you get out of just one cow. <laughs> I know, right? Triple that size. A mammoth would, steak?
0: Dude. That would be delicious. There are like
2: 20 different steaks in that animal. Mammoth <laughs> yeah, yeah, a mammoth
0: shank?
3: Yeah, mammoth shank. That might actually still be a thing because, you know, they're still digging oh, up they're mammoth carcasses and, from they, like the tundra. They're going to Jurassic Park them. I oh, yeah. Heard it back. I've heard of
1: it. I lo- that's the most American thing I could think of, by the <laughs> way, is that we're talking about resurrecting an animal and eating it.
3: <laughs> well, mm, That so, sounds delicious. Coincidentally, I was actually still am really interested in this whole process because, you know, I think we, I, we talked about earlier when I first started looking at Life paths. I'm like either doctor or engineer, one of the two. So I'm still really interested in biology <laughs> yeah. and medicine and things like that. And um, cloning has always been a interest to me. Mm. And uh, people are actively looking to clone a woolly mammoth, and they're thinking about using artificial wombs. Uh-huh. Oh. So because uh, the initial idea like a decade ago was they're going to take a – you know, the cl- they're going to use the cloning process they use for, like, that sheep, the mm-hmm. dolly, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're going to stick it into a elephant. Like the closest living the relative. closest living li- relative, which I think would have been an Asian or an African elephant. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a size difference. Yeah. And, and, you know, elephants have, like, a 12-month gestation period. So that's a long time if something were to go wrong. That's a huge amount of resources <laughs> gone, yeah. you know. So they're thinking about, well, why even risk an elephant? Why do it artificially? Why don't why don't they do it artificially? Incubate it. <clears throat> so there's a lot of projects around the world. Um, I think they did it with a lamb. They took an embryo out of a lamb, like a like a sheep, and then they stuck it in a prototype uh, artificial womb and then birthed it. Like they took an already not... existing embryo, stuck it into a machine, and then six months later, it came, someone came out healthy. That's what.
1: That's crazy. I mean, you could think about, like, uh, like that kind of technology also is, like, super cool because it could help, like... Because like, I know that there's some issues sometimes with, like, um, like mothers not being able to... Like, C-sections. Say, mm-hmm. like, maybe, like, you need to get a C-section for whatever reason, but it's too early for the baby. They could save the child, essentially, by, like, putting them in, like, this, this artificial, like, uh, incubation chamber to make sure the baby's okay.
3: I think that was the initial um idea of that it's like someone else came up with it separately mm-hmm. but now the mammoth people are ironing that like a the mammoth like, like a <laughs> juicy mammoth steak <laughs> that it is mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I kind of i kind of hungry
1: <laughs> what of what you think like? they have those a beaver hut mammoth steak
2: <laughs> no it, intelligence man making your own womb just to save a child that wouldn't have otherwise been born you know like
1: that's pretty cool i mean that it comes back to what you said about like engineering like, yeah, really. The ability to do what, basically, the mind can imagine, mm-hmm. and the 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 ability to do it, like how you're gonna do it. Wild. Man. That's oh. why, like biomedical engineering, I think is really cool too. It is, yeah. Like oh. prosthetic limbs, mm-hmm. super cool.
0: So cool. There's the uh, exoskeletons. I, oh, that was. Yeah, I wanted sorry. that
1: to be my senior project before I knew <laughs> what I was like. I was coming here. I wanted to do an exo suit. Too expensive.
3: Well, there, there's so many things out right now. Like, have you seen some of the new prosthetics where they're water hydraulic powered oh, and they linked cool. up to bioelectrical signals from your muscles? Shut up.
1: That's cool. Okay, that's so wild. So
3: typically in amputees, they'll fold the muscle over the bone so you have like that cushion, yep. right? So it's not just like bones that's, on yeah. skin, you know. Yeah. Um, you want, you know, it's a degree to safety. So that muscle is still there and you can flex that muscle. So, what they'll do is they'll put like electro pads, and maybe they'll think of something a little bit more permanent to attach to those muscles, and they flex that muscle, and you program that electrical signal to a certain output. And there's, a, you can probably Google it right now. There, Someone made a hydro, water hydraulic robotic arm that responds to that, <sighs> that looks and feels, because it's made out of basically tubes and um, silicon. Mm hmm you know and it looks and feels like a human arm that is absolutely that's awesome, incredible. and I don't think they'd be able to make it feel but they're they're working on that you know that's yeah. it's
1: all because like we're we are all just big sacks of meat with electricity running through exactly. us exactly so you know, our
3: biggest that's consciousness
1: is what we are what we're, the... uh, <laughs> we're blowing Luke's mind right now. <laughs> oh man made a mistake electricity
3: <laughs> we are basically jellyfish piloting a meat mech
1: yeah yeah <laughs> we're, we're, we are just our brain the rest is like everything that our brain tells us to do so yep. if you can get the the nerve endings to tell your body what to do then it's yeah. pretty amazing people
3: working on trying to solve blindness with like robotic eyes people
1: artificially uh growing um like un like kind of like stem cells but it's like un because there's like uh a, a lot of you may know like uh organs they have uh, like if you try to get an implant from someone else's organ, sometimes it like doesn't stay. It rejects. Mm-hmm. It rejects. That's mm-hmm. the word for it. And yeah. if you have like a like stem cells to help the bonding process, and they're trying to grow organs now that are artificial that can do that. Like you kind of like you said, where it's it's still like a natural, as in mm-hmm. it's like organic material, but it's not being grown the same way as like you would grow your own like kidneys.
3: Get this. Um, I saw a article a couple months ago about people trying to find out how figure out how to three D print organic organs.
1: Oh man, what do you think they do that here at the three D printing club? I think
3: they got it. Oh, that'd be, <laughs> be you no know, freaking cow, right? You know, in yeah. Maryfield. <laughs> um, but I think you, so you guys, who's listening, and maybe you guys might. I want to double-check, but I think they try to print 3D print like a pig heart or something.
1: I did see something like that, I think.
3: Yeah, and I know there's tons of research going into turning, like, uh, spinach leaf cells into blood vessels.
1: Why spinach? Um, Like because... Popeye? It's going to make you strong?
3: <laughs> Maybe, but they're, they're... I can't remember the word. They're like a vein structure. It's mm-hmm. very similar to what we have. So basically what they did is they took... Uh, all like the actual spinach cells out of it, maybe not the actual cells, but mm-hmm. all the things that make it spinach, and then they're <laughs> reusing that same structure. And uh, like I saw one on YouTube, like it's the same guy that made uh, artificial spider silk or something on oh, YouTube. Oh yeah, 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 his yeah. name. But he made like a meat grape or something. Ew. Oh, yeah, oh my God. That sounds Where awful. He took a grape and then maybe it wasn't him. But it was someone who stripped who used that same process for the spinach leaf shipped it all of whatever made it a grape, used that same structure, and then grew, um, like, human, or not human, but, like, meat. <laughs> meat stuff. Meat stuff. Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> Flesh. It's like Arby's. They have the meats.
3: <laughs> oh, no. That's, that's not... Talk <laughs> about <laughs> dystopian. It's <That's laughs> probably
0: a different process than, like, the Impossible Burgers, right? Were, I you know, forgot the about impossible the Impossible burgers. burgers. Are they're basically? I thought those were plant based. Yeah, they are plant based. <laughs> they all... but
3: it's like plant based and like zap it full of chemicals. No, but this is it's. They're taking the structure. So they're basically, if the building was the cell, they're taking everything that made that building, you know what that was, mm-hmm. um, strip it down to the very skeleton, and then build back up something new.
1: The mitochondria <laughs> is the powerhouse of the cell.
3: Yeah.
2: Cells, so, cells. So, they're made of organisms. <laughs> <the> <laughs> What there was a song I learned in elementary school or middle school to teach me about cells, and that's kind of how it starts off. I don't think I
1: ever heard that song.
2: Oh, That's good stuff.
3: Now, what I do know is that's one of the only things that stuck with me through high school. My cottage is the powerhouse. Of I, but, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. become a joke
1: online. Yeah. I think.
3: No, I see it online in every like dorm. Like uh, my brother used to live in Finley, and every time I'd visit him, there was like my dad, that that saying yep. on every whiteboard in yep. and his lounge. Like, someone's going insane. You, know?
1: you talked about it a little bit earlier, but this kind of brings in, like, the biology aspect. This is, like, one of my, like, why I wanted to do biology in, like, space is because of my love of, like, thinking that, like, we're not the only ones in the universe. And thinking, like, like think, like, uh, think about all the factors that go into making us bipedal ver- uh, vertebrates, like, with what we have, like, our, our ten fingers, so you know, time. ten toes. It's, like... Think about, like, if you grew up on a planet that was, like, twice the size of Earth, right? Like, we're going to be really short and really squat. Like, we're going to have very thick legs and be very strong.
3: Have you looked at mass. that book I, I recommended to you last time?
1: Which one was that?
3: Uh, Hail Mary.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I don't think I have yet. Um,
3: He kind of goes into that.
1: And, you know, or... The Expanse also goes into that, which is The Expanse series. Have you guys watched that at all? Uh, a, no, a little bit of it. It's basically, like, it's, like, first off the the un is like now like earth government and then like we've sent people to mars and we sent people to like series like the asteroid belt and they the book is basically about like uh it's like a bunch of wars happening between like mars and earth but like people that grow up on mars like are really sensitive to the sun because their uh atmosphere is or they're not getting as much radiation so if they come to earth like they're like ah it burns you know um and then like people who grow up in the belt or, like, Ceres and the asteroid belt, like, they're really tall because gravity doesn't affect them as much so that they just – they grow until they stop, essentially. Um, and then, like, anytime they come to Earth, like, it's, like, torture because they can't withstand the gravity. And so, like, you think about us, like, the opposite, like, us going to the moon, like, in real life. Like, obviously we jump much higher because it's, like, one-sixth Earth's gravity. And then we go, if we go to Mars, it's going to be a little bit different. But if you think about, like – we go to like Pluto. Like you could probably jump at least like thirty feet in the air on Pluto. Most likely, It'd be like Halo. Yeah, it would be like Halo. Yeah. I
2: don't like thinking about that because my back could feel so much better oh. <laughs> without gravity. Uh, it would be me so down. nice. Oh my god, thinking about that is such a treatment. Think about yeah.
1: how about I ruin it. Think about Venus. They have because of the atmosphere, it's like eighty-eight times Earth's atmosphere. So you'd just be like. Ugh, uh. Just yeah.
0: compressed all the time well they they theorized
1: oh <laughs> you know, that would be what? nice they theorized that uh, yeah. we could make suits that uh, like people could walk on the surface of Venus. i also I, I i don't know why I did this, but I at one point in time I did the math for how yeah, I know laugh it up, I did the math for how how much air and what type of air and how much it could be held up by the atmosphere of venus like i did the math for like what the how big the balloons would need to be like how big how much weight it could be handled and like what gas you need to use to make sure that you could like stay afloat on venus clouds i don't even remember the number i got but i have the the calculations i made somewhere i just did it like i was like midnight and i was like yeah this is a good idea to do right (laughs) now actually i think i was watching cowboy bebop and they're on venus and i was like i wonder how i wonder if i've ever done the math on this so i decided to I, like you said, as an engineer, I knew what to do. I was like, oh, the buoyancy calculations. I know these. That's crazy.
3: You no, know, that's actually one of the most common things uh, I have found in engineering is like, you know what's a weird question? I'm going to stay up until 3 a.m. and try yeah. to answer this
1: question. It's like I'm going to not sleep. I'm going I'm to not sleep tonight because I thought about this and I can't think <laughs> it. Right. It, it, that's like. That's why I really enjoy, like, the problems that we don't have the answers to as well. Like, because I have no clue how to solve, like, a lot of them. <laughs> like, thinking about, like, dark matter. Like, how do we see it? Like, we know it's there, but, like, how do we see it? Like, we don't know. Do
3: we Do we actually know it's there, or is it theorized?
1: We know it's there because of how it interacts with the universe. And, like, ho- like, there's so much mass in the universe and, like, the way that we're all structured. But, like, visibly or, like, through any other spectrum of light, there's nothing there. But something is holding the universe, like, still within like together so it's like what i think of it as excuse me um i think of it as like the light spectrum like it's probably just a spectrum of light so beyond one that we can't see like Mm -hmm. so beyond like gamma rays all the way to like radio waves so beyond somewhere that that's why we can't see it and we have no clue how to see it and that's super cool to me like something that exists out there that we know it exists but we can't do anything about it
2: we literally can't imagine things we don't know because of our limitations. Like, the spectrum is just a finite amount of a mm-hmm. wavelength. Yeah. But imagine going beyond it. You can't. You can't imagine it. Yeah. You like, cannot.
0: It's, it's crazy. Like, what's beyond the universe? Or, like, the outer edges. Especially <laughs> just the, the fact that, the, like, crows are actually colorful. But because of our light spectrum that we see, they're just Wait, what? black. Oh, so Wait, funny. seriously? Yes. What? Crows are colorful. What are they, like, parrots? They also speak. Did you know that?
3: Yeah, they can birds. talk. They can talk the the tongue and it, that's what they call teaching a, a crow or a raven or a co- corvid what? or anything. Are you kidding? And, and you can teach them yeah, to they speak talk and they they can talk like parrots. What? So, uh, crows? Yeah, cr- crows, ravens, or ravens and
1: anything yeah. in that same kind of family. Did you not know that? So this that, that's them in UV light. Oh my god. That's, that's they're like a bluebird. Yeah. yeah.
0: What? You just oh. blew
1: my mind with that. You know what? That that should be someone... Here's okay. a free idea out there. Why doesn't someone make a prosthetic like lens that puts over your eye that can go between the different light spectrums? That would be pretty sick.
3: You know... That so would be pretty cool. That's... Okay, so a little bit of background. Me and my dad have, like, me hang out whenever we do. He, he... He's in the medical field. I'm, you know, doing the engineering. And every once in a while, he'll, like, write up a a prompt and throw it at me, and he's like, "I want to know the answer by Tuesday." Like,
1: <laughs> like there's different le- like? Okay. Gla- imagine glasses. Like, yeah. you could p- easily like not easily. I'm, I'm speaking, you know, like as for someone who has no clue what they're talking about, you could totally probably do like some sort of lensing on like a p- uh, pair of so, glasses. So,
3: what we were theorizing is, I was actually asking him his opinion on like uh, the mechanical component of design, you, know, you have to come up with like a product, you know, you gotta, yeah. all, all that kind of stuff. And he goes, "You want know, to be a good idea." A helmet that does everything. That's and I'm like, dad, dad, what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, a helmet that does anything. You know, like the HUD, like the video games that you guys like. and, um, and But cares. do like UV, night vision, you know, Zoom, all that kind of stuff. And then I'm like, oh, well, let me let me think about it. And basically then I started Halo. thinking about it. Yeah, it was basically We're Halo just, when uh, I started every, thinking about every,
1: it. Every road goes to Halo.
3: And I started doing some research into it. And I'm like, oh, my God. If I had about... 1200 bucks <laughs> and a bit more time to <laughs> start experimenting. Not Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah. Well, I started looking at things that exist and seeing how I can implement it. And I'm, then I can start getting excited. I'm like, oh, my God, what, what can I do? What can I do? That's and, what's amazing about and engineering. And I'm rolling with this, and I'm like, if I had time and money the world would be mine. <laughs> oh, I know.
2: Old man's deadlines. I can't meet him. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes,
1: old man. Old man well, says I gotta get this to him by Monday.
3: Well, it's more like uh um uh like ideas, not like products or anything. Like one time he asked me for a he goes, Kyle, I had this idea. I wanna put a pressure vessel inside a pressure vessel and I wanna see what happens when you put it under the water. <laughs> what happens? And I'm like, that I have no idea. <laughs> figure it out, boy. Figure it out. <laughs> Just, um, and then I figure it out, and I'm like, "Well, I asked this one person, and then then like the math doesn't checked
2: out, and that kind of led me down a rabbit hole. I'm like, what what does this mean? Well, there's not really one answer to that because the pressure vessel can hold whatever pressure you make it. To
1: That's be- a true engineering mm-hmm. answer right there.
2: Yeah. yeah, you can have an empty pressure well, vessel. Well,
3: his his prompt um, was that he wanted to. It's like, well, what if you create a barrier that takes off more pressure? each
1: time you like well layer what it. what gas are you putting in the pressure vessel <laughs> <laughs> he he
3: said water but i'm like experimenting with <laughs> things. and he, um, the idea was that if you have that second layer you could go down to the mariana trench and so you would kind of double or have your stress because you would have another fluid there taking it and i'm like that that's not how structures work <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like No, no 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 get this and i would have And that was an exercise in coming up with the reasons why it wouldn't
1: work. Yeah. Isn't there, like, something with, like, the cube squared law, too? Like, as you increase the surface area, like, the volume. Or it's, like, it's one or the other. It's something, like, cells. Cells can only be so big because of the cube squared law, I'm pretty sure. It's, like, as you make the, I don't even remember, as you make the area larger, like, the volume, like, triples. Like, Mm -hmm. if the, I think it's if the area doubles, the volume triples. I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know off the top of my head either. Just know it exists. That's engineering for you.
2: Speaking of space efficiency, though, isn't it wild that bees just know what shape to make their homes? Like, I never thought about that. Honeycombs. Yeah, honeycombs. are hexagonal for a reason. Structurally sound, space efficient. Isn't that
1: crazy, like, that nature has that ability? Right. There's a few other, like, I think in nature, like... Like, I think we don't know why birds migrate. Like, they just know.
3: <laughs> they, I think they said it was something to do with
1: the... They have, like, an internal clock of some sort. Like, a,
3: they, they do magnetism. Mm.
1: So oh they kind God. of feel... My, my bird's
0: a compass. Yeah, that's, pretty much. But I that mean... makes sense, because remember when uh, 5G first started going out? Oh, yeah. And all the birds all the just, just birds going got, like, crazy? Are you kidding? No, that's, that was Because it messed
1: with their, their, their internal, probably very sensitive magnetism. Mm-hmm. That's sure, so
0: cool.
3: I'm sure that fueled that's some how, conspiracy theory. That's cool. how homing pigeons know where to, to to go. Yeah, they have like a fixed point in their mind. You know that like, hey, this is where that that field is, or something. There's probably m- much more to it, but um, yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. The, it's like the different animals that can like, do that stuff is like like ant ant hills are another thing. Oh my god, ants too. So complicated, yet they somehow don't like. They don't collapse on themselves because of what they do.
3: Have you seen some of the experiments done with them?
1: Uh, possibly.
3: So there's a couple points I want to bring out because the scientists that experiment with ants are absolutely hilarious. I think. <laughs> so they had done an experiment. Um, I don't know how they came up with this prompt. Um, they Some scientists said, I think ants count their steps. And the other scientists said, oh, no, I don't I think they do. I have heard about this. So they – so someone made little stilts
1: to <laughs> put on the. <online>. Yep, <laughs> yep. It's I like, remember this. So so okay. It's so wild. And
3: it's yeah, like pedometers or something. <laughs> yeah. they, they had little stilts. They have they like said, an
1: internal pedometer.
3: Okay, go on. Oh yeah, and so and uh, uh, yeah, it was and like count their steps. I think That's it was like du- it was
1: double the length of their legs. Mm-hmm. So basically, like if they say they walked like uh, like say they marched a hundred steps then they marched back then they put, I don't know how they did this they put them on little stilts and they put a little clown hat on top of them and then uh, they sent them or like they they changed like the distance of the food or something or like the home and then like it walked the exact same amount of steps that it would have if it had its normal legs and it was like half the distance oh. and it was like
2: where am I? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you've seen booties on dogs. They don't walk like they normally do. <laughs> <laughs> it's so
1: funny seeing like my dog would not my dog would tear those off, the little booties, because they like flop around.
3: <laughs> but uh <laughs> the the second point was did you know that red ants, like fire ants, um, have an automatic flood response and Close they will take this. completely unrelated colony, so it's not learned. Nothing of this is learned. Nothing how they build or interact is learned. And you'll take a brand new colony, put them out somewhere, completely isolate them. They have no water response at all. And then all of a sudden you'll flood the colony. They have the same automatic flood response. They'll build little rafts out of each other. Oh! So the whole my. colony will float mm-hmm. on top because they'll build their own little ant raft out of their own
2: bodies. Do you sacrifice some of them on the bottom? No, they'll like rotate out. What? They all it's, what? Like, it's because they have like nah. this.
1: They have like these. I don't remember. It's like they, these hairs yeah, or these like hairs. this film on their body that causes them to be uh, hydrophobic. Oh. So basically, you can like dunk them and they'll pop back out. <laughs> but they'll take turns to rest. Yeah. So it's and, like
0: geese when they're flying and traveling. The one in the middle will come back. Yeah. So yeah. In this case, it's just a bunch of ants being a raft. Wow.
1: Yeah. The tag out method. Tag out. A little ant taps them on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> gets him out. All right, buddy, your turn's over.
0: Here's some shirt, sure. Yeah,
1: the yeah. union break. Yeah, yeah, union break and union break. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah,
3: but like nature will oftentimes have the most efficient um, things because I think it's that like natural selection, um, like we were talking about. Um, I had seen a uh, uh, engineering program make a algorithm for like an efficient antenna, antenna right, and did a. And uh, they ran a natural selection program through it. And instead of, like, a straight antenna, it was all, like, catawampus or mm-hmm. something. And it was all based off of, like, efficiency. Not, like, material efficiency, but, like, energy efficiency and, like, receptiveness. It was, like, 15% more efficient than just a straight one. And it was, like, some weird shape that no one ever really would have figured out. And that was all through childhood error, you know, yes, no, yes, no's, you know.
1: I mean, that's, like, nature's amazing, too, because, like, compound eyes. Like, they can literally see, like, almost every direction.
2: Eyes are so cool.
1: I don't like their eyes at a certain (laughs) point. I I mean, like, I'm cool with bugs, but, like, just don't zoom in on them. (laughs) Another another cool fact fact actually just came to mind for some reason. I don't know why. It doesn't involve natural selection at all. Maybe from the earth. So I I just thought about this because maybe it was the mammoth steak talk that we're thinking about. So I... I remember reading something a while back. Uh, It's totally anecdotal, but it's kind of fun to think about. So the meteor that hit Earth that wiped out the dinosaurs hit with like such a velocity that, of course, it wiped out almost everything on Earth. But if you think about something being between, you know, some farther enough distance to still be like killed by the meteor, but not be like vaporized, theoretically, theoretically. There is a dinosaur in that perfect zone that it could have been launched into space. Like, it would have hit with enough to escape velocity a dinosaur. Wow. And it, it's funny to think that out in space somewhere there might be an almost perfectly preserved T-Rex just floating through space. Or, like, you know, all these different these different dinosaurs just flew out of the atmosphere just into space. And, like, one day aliens are going to come across them and be like, what? what is that? Like, Voyager, they just go right by and they go, is, is that a? T Rex, funny to think about with that kind of stuff.
0: This is your flame dinosaur right there?
1: Oh, yeah. a dino- oh T Rex stick? it's like the Flintstones at that point. Like, I'd love that. That'd be delicious. Well,
3: like the close relatives, the chicken. So yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Kentucky T- Fried T Rex tastes like T Rex. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah, the McDonald's chicken. starts that up. Do
0: you the think- only reason for Jurassic Park.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The only reason for Jurassic Park.
0: But okay, so if there are dinosaurs out there, do you think maybe they got? Cooked up by the radiation if they went the wrong way? I mean, like,
1: probably. Probably. <laughs> they probably, they, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I've never been to, I, mean, I want to go to space, but space is so crazy, harsh in a lot of different ways. I mean, like, radiation for, like, one thing, biologically. I mean, we were talking last time, like, you guys didn't know a gamma ray burst, right? Like, gamma ray, you know what gamma ray burst is? No, what's that? For you viewers that don't know you can also watch the first episode for this gamma Burst is essentially like the supernova is like the little brother and then there's the hypernova and from a hypernova it's like going to form like a a neutron star like a black hole or a magnetar and basically at the poles of the star a l- beam of light going the speed of light shoots out and basically it just goes in either direction for essentially infinity but it's the largest explosion in the universe and these happen all the time and i was saying last episode there's a satellite that they put up during the cold war to detect nuclear uh, detonations and that satellite or these these array of satellites detected the very first gamma ray burst from space called the vela the vela satellites for those of you who are interested but that's how we discovered it is the gamma ray burst and they happen all the time.
2: That is so cool. Yeah. And,
1: but I was saying, like, uh, it's been theorized if one, like, ever hit even within, like, a light year of us, like, it would just wipe out, like, all life on Earth. That's kinda scary. It would, like, roast the atmosphere off.
3: Yeah, sleepless nights.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, what can we do about it, right? Like, maybe I'll end up blown off with the, <laughs> with the T-Rex.
0: And actually, the the... I'll
1: just see a frozen JJ.
0: Yeah, oh, trying to take a bite out of it. <laughs> On the topic of radiation, um, NASA, with their, well, their Artemis mission, mm-hmm. uh, they're collaborating with Duke. And they're having these, uh, quote unquote, phantoms. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. And what these phantoms are is they're just dummies inside of a uh, basically a space vehicle. And they're launching them up to see where the space radiation will hit. Oh. Because cool. while you're flying through space you're actually getting a lot of radiation. Yep. And so one of the biggest problems. And one of the art the Artemis mission is to bring, you know, people to the moon Heck and yeah. everything. So they're these sensors have over a thousand like sense cent- or these dummies have over a thousand sensors on them and they're basically pinpointing the main organs and everything to see like what's gonna happen when everyone hops into the spacecraft and That's goes right. out. And also, there's another thing of uh, when you travel to Mars, they're saying that you're going to experience multiple lifetimes of radiation. Yes. Which is – I didn't even think about that when yeah. thinking of going to Mars. I'm thinking like how are we going to get there? Not like
1: I did a paper about that in community college for how to prevent that. And it turns out that human waste actually, depending on what you eat, can block a lot of uh, radiation. Um, especially if you like line the walls, it might be kind of gross. But line the walls of the sp- the space station with it. That also reminds me. <laughs> this brings us back to the biology aspect too. Like how human, like human beings and living things are amazing. The radiation sensors that they're going up on that. That's cool, and it reminds me of there was astronauts that were twins, and one poor twin they stuck on the ground. And they said, "You stay here." <laughs> And then the other one they said, "All right, buddy, you could go up into space and they left him up there. i think i I don't know I think it may have been like six months to a year, and then they brought him back down and they took like blood samples and like did all this DNA analysis and they were seeing if like there's enough radiation like up in the like you know i s s orbit to see if it affects your DNA. it turns out there was nothing, so that's good news for us.
0: but what they did find was that time dilation is true, yes, they found because it's they like... took a bone sample. Mm-hmm. Along with all the samples, and the twin that went up to space was younger than the twin that like stayed on like Earth. Like by like five, it's like by five. It's, it was very m- minuscule, very minuscule. Because but they've been found, traveling faster. They found that yeah, time dilation is true. That's the that is same the with
2: like wildest thing I've heard all yeah for, uh, ev- almost ever.
0: It's
1: pretty that wild. well. It just proves like uh, like the theory of relativity, right? And like all that, and like that's the cool thing about like GPS satellites too. GPS satellites are going like the very first GPS or one of the first few that are still up. They've been up there for so long and are going so fast that they are they are a few seconds like ahead. They're they're <clears throat> they're younger essentially than than everything else of that same age because they've been going so fast for so long. So yeah, it's it's pretty amazing the way that to uh, like. Even on our small scale, like, because if you think about it, like, human being, like, our scale in the universe is minuscule. And it probably will never be even any larger than it already is. But the fact that we can affect the universe on, like, that level with what we have over that period of time is pretty amazing to me. Like, time is something that you always think of as steadfast, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we can't touch it as humans. There's only a few things that really can affect it and like one is gravity and like light and like high speed. And the fact that we can affect it in a very minor way is pretty cool.
3: That is definitely cool. But speaking of time and engineering with biology. Ooh, can you hear me now? Okay. Um so have you heard about the, the lobster?
1: I have a feeling I know what you're gonna say. No, I have not. Okay. So um,
3: I think the better question would be, what causes aging? And that is going to be... Cell death. Cell yeah, death. Entropy. Cell degr- degr- degradation or something. Mm-hmm. And basically what you do is on when your cells replicate, and so they split apart, they have these little caps on the end. And those caps are finite. When those caps are run, out, run out, that cell basically just dies. It can't replicate anymore. What lobsters and some relatives have is a enzyme that... Regenerates those caps and lobsters and things like that that have that total exponential growth. They don't die of old age, they die of not being able to get enough food
1: and uh, human intervention. And, you know, hu- or other outside intervention. We cause issues. There's
2: no way you're telling me that if you fed a lobster sufficiently and helped it molt, it would be feasibly almost immortal. Okay. There needs to be a study. <laughs> there needs to be a study that does this. I mean, I would need to know. There's, there's though, if a couple. Immortal.
3: There's a couple gene studies that are trying to <laughs> um, increase the human lifespan by taking that enzyme, and they're experimenting. And I haven't seen. It all
1: I,
2: goes back to gene editing. Yeah,
3: gene editing. You know, and you know that might be the uh, next
2: uh, stage of human evolution. Talk about sleepless nights. I'm going home. And I'm <laughs> looking for this lobster.
1: Yeah, lobster. Yeah, yeah. There's also in a shark that they theorized to be alive for like the last 389 years.
2: Oh no, the, not theorized. Or it,
1: it's proven because they're like mostly cartilage, and I don't remember. It's different than the lobster, but somehow like the shark is just like so long lived because like the pressure they live at in the ocean and it the, was the also temperature, the metabolism, and their metabolism. Yeah,
3: things with a slow, slower
1: metabolism.
2: Have a much longer life. I'm
1: pretty sure that's how turtles live. In yeah, fact. I was just
2: gonna ask. Didn't turtles or survive turtles. the the impact from the asteroid? Mm-hmm. They did. Probably Everything as, above a certain as, size.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it's probably as, as as some sort of ancient ancestor of them survived, and that's how they're here today.
2: Right. Okay. That, that's that's much more. I don't, rem- I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah. Back in my day, if, when back <laughs> in my day when
1: the turtles had had six legs and no, two heads. Good, good clarification for sure. <laughs> Yeah, man, the lot you brought up. I'm sorry, I'm all the ta- I'm, ta- I'm the tangent guy. I guess there's also been a theory that we're all heading to crab. Oh yeah,
3: and I, uh, <laughs> I know I phrased that what? funny,
1: what? but we are all heading to crab. You might
3: want to uh, rephrase that. We are on a co- college this, campus. <laughs> this theory
1: is called carcinization which means that eventually, this is again, this is evolutionary theory that eventually every evolutionary life cycle from no matter what animal uh you are <laughs> it the perfect form will end up at crab <laughs> so like if if you go through like the, the like survival of the fittest like the theory of like evolution and like uh you know uh darwin like uh, eventually like the most perfect form is crab
2: what the? <laughs> I, so I've t-rex heard
1: Crab. Like a t-rex. <laughs> crab, crab, crab. I bet, I bet the T Rex would have survived that asteroid if it was a crab.
3: Well, you know the crab survived. You know, they're... yeah, the
1: crabs are here. I mean, the crab worked. I mean, the horseshoe crab is one of the oldest animals, in, in, like that still exists that has been like unchanged, basically. So, but uh, yes, I. Uh, speaking of things that
0: are old seems like uh, we're at time for this episode, so uh, tune in for the next episode of At Least It's Not Rocket Science. Thank you, everyone, for listening,
1: and thank you, Kyle, for being here, and thank you so much, Luke. Uh, We had a good time, and we really appreciate you coming out and talking to us. Oh,
2: man, it's been great. Thank you very much.
1: All right, everyone.
2: Hopefully, we'll see you again on another episode. You're always welcome
1: back. We'll talk about crabs more. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Have a great night. Bye.